Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. This episode of Working Dog Radio is brought to you in part by the best training conference on the planet, HITS K9 Training and Conference, www.hitsk9.net, or call Jeff Barrett, 863-529-5113. We'll see you there. One of our other great sponsors, be sure to check them out, Ray Allen Manufacturing up in Colorado Springs, rayallen.com. Be sure to use the discount code WORKINGDOGRADIO for 10% off. Spell it out, get the discount. Everyone knows Ted and I are huge fans of Dogtra. Uh, we use all their products, lots of stuff. Dogtra.com, use the discount code WDR10 for 10% off a single item over $200. All right, everybody loves drag and drop the easiest way possible. The easiest way to get a kennel up and running is to get them from Horizon Structures. Go to horizonstructures.com or call 1-888-447-4337. Make sure you tell them that Working Dog Radio sent you. There you go. One of our newest sponsors and one of our favorites, Kinetic Dog Food. Kineticdogfood.com or call 512-279-8966. Get your dog on the right track. One of our other fantastic sponsors that are run by the Heiser, some of the best people in the industry. We love those guys. Uh, looking for a reputable canine kennel with dog sales and training services? They're located in sunny New Smyrna, Florida. Southern Coast Canine provides services worldwide from purchasing your next single or dual-purpose working dog to handler courses and seminars. Southern Coast is a great resource, so check them out. And where you can check them out is Southern Coast Canine. That's letter K, number 9.com, or give them a call, 877-903-DOGS. That's dogs. We get asked all the time what happens to all the working dogs once they retire. If the dogs are lucky, they get to retire with their handler. Sometimes those dogs are expensive in their retirement due to health issues sustained from injuries on the job or old age in general. That's a heavy burden for a lot of the handlers. Enter organizations like the Georgia Police Canine Foundation. These great folks assist law enforcement agencies with life-saving supplies and equipment for our canine officers and help provide assistance for them in their retirements. It can be hard finding an organization with dogs' best interests at heart, but we strongly encourage you to check out Georgia Police Canine Foundation. Great people doing great work. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. Uh, I am Eric Stambro coming to you from Ohio at the Lakefront Lodge uh, house that I have. <laughs> it's uh, been a beautiful day. Um, with me, as always, is our co-host, Ted Summers from Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, which I think is currently hosting a uh, Trump rally, so things <laughs> might get interesting there or about to host uh, one. So, Ted, what's up? Uh, I am staying away from that. Um, it, it's two and a half miles from my house. Um, I will not be down there, um, not because I don't support the president, not because I do, but just because it attracts it's going to attract, given what's going on uh, today is the 17th of June. Um, when you listen to this a year from now, <laughs> you can look back and see what's going on right now. It's going to attract some fucking weirdos. So I am, uh, I'm just staying away. I'm going to do dog stuff. I'm actually going to be working. I'm sure. Uh, I've got some dog stuff I got to deal with at the kennel and the kennel is actually closer. Um, it's less than a mile from where it's going to be. So, um, no, nah, it's been a mile and a half, but it, uh, I'm definitely staying away from the, the Trump rally thing just from just because of the people. I don't like people anyway, but I definitely don't want fucking COVID. I don't want to deal with that shit. And so I'm 
I'm over it. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to do dog shit. Dogs don't care about politics. <laughs> Which is why we started the podcast. Speaking Oddly of, enough. What you, what's going on yeah. in your kennel? Um, so Scott's on vacation. He's seeing his son um, and his grandkids. Kids. So um, Travis and I um, are running the prisoners. Um, and uh, we've got 12, 13 Green dogs in process right now. Um, ten of them dual. Uh, the other two are single-purpose narcotics. Uh, had some handlers pick up some dogs. For bonding period, we have a big uh, handler school starting <clears throat> July 6th. I'll have four or six guys here uh, for quite a while. And we still have green dogs in that time frame. Plus, we've got HRD seminars going on. So, um, COVID or not. <laughs> I'm working. Yeah. So, uh, thankfully my facility, if you've heard is like, you know, it's access controlled. You can't just, it's not open to the public. So I'm just, you know, we're just doing our thing. Um, so I'm not licking doorknobs, which is good. So I'm COVID free, which is great. I'm pretty thankful for that. So, uh, you know, this is the, uh, the milestone. Uh, this is the hundredth episode. It kind of crept up on us. Um, there should be a big social media thing going on with this one, um, with Instagram and Facebook. We're giving away a bunch of stuff from Dogtra. It sounds like probably from ALM, uh, several other sponsors, I'm sure. Vet Care, uh, Kinetic Dog Food. All those guys are going to be giving stuff away. Um, lots of stuff. So, um, yeah, hundredth uh, episode. This project started as a joke. Um, <laughs> Eric, you and I, and Alicia set out to put out information that we thought was relevant. Um, up until we kind of started this, most of the information in the industry was controlled by email or by a magazine, zine, magazines that were owned by uh, a single person. And not that the information published wasn't good, but there was definitely a block. Um, you know, that guy is who he is and it is what it is. Um, and it definitely was a, um, there was definitely a bottleneck. So we started this, um, project as a joke, um, for anybody that is listening to this and, you know, you hear about podcasts and everything else and they're like, Oh shit, they're free to put on. They are not fucking free that I can, I can fucking promise you that mm -hmm. this is not fucking free. The hosting, the equipment, the, <laughs> the travel, like all the stuff that goes into doing this is not cheap. And it sure as shit is not easy um, to do. Uh, but we got, I don't know, like 20 episodes in. And we figured out that we're not audio editors. We're dog trainers. Um, which, if you listen to the early episodes, we're going to leave them as they stand. Because it's a testament to how far we've come. Uh, but, you know, we, I think, have helped a lot of people. Um, we go to HRD seminars and we hear all the time, like, dude, listen to the podcast. Help me so much. Um, I remember the first time you and I were standing at hits in, um, I think it was in DC. We had that dude come up from Iowa and he was like, Hey man. Um, and he's probably going to send us an email after hearing this. He's like, Hey, you know, um, the podcast has helped me a ton. I've been a cop for six years. And I've been a canine handler for like three and I'm in a group of eight and I am the most experienced handler. I'm like, Oh shit, seriously. And he's like, I have no idea what I'm doing. So, you know, I worked with him. I think you did too, a little bit, kind of through email and through phone calls. Mm -hmm. And now those dudes are all um, nationally certified through a, a national organization. Um, and, you know, th that's a single story. Um, I, we get emails every day 
about, you know, I'll mention stuff online or not online, but on the podcast, like, oh, send me this email and I'll send you the case law or whatever else. And I get emails like that all the time. Stuff from like 15 or 30 episodes ago. You mentioned this in episode and I'm like, oh, yeah, I did. And, uh, you know, and that's what this project is about. So um, this is a kind of a milestone and we're super stoked about it. Um, so everybody listening, if you've been with us from the beginning, thank you. If you're now just starting, go back and listen to the other 99 episodes. <laughs> They're great. We had some awesome ones. And, uh, so yeah, the guest today, um, when we started this whole thing, I actually did quite a bit of planning and this guest was kind of one on the short list of, you know, like 40 or 50 or whatever it is. And it never really like worked out in terms of getting it lined up, but we finally got it nailed down. And uh, so for the hundredth episode, we have Michael Ellis. Michael, how are you? I'm great. Thank you guys very much for having me on. I really appreciate you thinking of me. Yeah, no, for sure, man. And like I said, you know, you were on the short list for ever. It seems like on we should do this, and then it never lined up. Like somebody popped up, or something popped up, or we did this, or we did that, and. So this has been one a long time coming. My actual um, kind of exposure to you at the beginning was through um, the video series you guys do, that you did on like market training and e-collar use. And um, Mm -hmm. before we started recording, I kind of told you the story about one of my handlers I mentioned in the interview. They're like, oh, the outing guy. I'm like, the what? I'm like, I, sure. (laughs) I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Your dog outs. Like I taught him to out, tell him to out, he outs. And they're like, yeah, but that's, you know, you know, my boss told me that like, oh, this is the guy that knows how to make police dogs out. I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) Well, I mean, I can see that. Yeah, sure. (laughs) So aside from the outing guy, um, give us a little bit of your background and uh, how you got into dogs. All right. Well, uh, well, again, thanks for having me on. And the, your timing couldn't have been uh, better. So one of the things that m- the stars align in the pandemic has given me a little more time to do stuff like this than I had uh, had three months ago. So uh, good, good time to wait because you hit me in a, in a sweet spot anyway. Um, so dog training wise, I've been doing it for 40 years. So I started like many kids pestering the parents for a, a dog got a German Shepherd had to get the dog trained. That was part of the thing. Joined a German Shepherd dog club, got involved in confirmation and obedience and all sorts of things. And then when I was in high school, near the end of high school, I discovered uh, uh, it was a Schutzend demo at a dog show that I was at. and was immediately smitten and uh, launched me off into kind of seeking out clubs in my area and getting involved in that. And none of the dogs I had, of course, would work at all at that time. So, uh, I started doing decoy work. Uh, they are all like, you're young and able bodied. So how about this? And, um, and it was a hobby all through college and that sort of thing. It just so happens that the club that I started with shared a field with the uh, San Diego police department. Uh, and so the canine handlers used that field and several of them were members of our Schutzen club as well. So I got connected to law enforcement in there as well. And um, it was a long-time hobby. I did decoy work not only for the uh, Schutzen Club at the time, but also got involved in suit work and uh, and ring sport at that time, and then was doing decoy work as well for uh, for the police dog trials and things that were in Southern California. And uh, over time, uh, it gradually sort of accidentally turned into a career. I really had no intention of doing dog training professionally, but at a point... Uh, when I was in college, or shortly, yeah, while well, I was in college, uh, 
one of the clubs that I had worked with a little bit um, had a bunch of new members and asked if I would come and help teach the new members some stuff. And so I did, and it went kind of well, and they referred me to somebody else, and they referred me to somebody else. And so over time, uh, I started doing seminars. So like most dog trainers, I did some pet dog training, and I uh, you know, taught classes at various places and worked for a kennel and that kind of stuff um, as a side job while I was going to school. Um, but the seminar thing just gradually started to pick up steam and take off. And after a number of years, uh, I stepped back and said, oh, well, I guess this is my, my career. And I was traveling and giving seminars to uh, dog training clubs, police departments, um, service dog organizations, all that sort of thing, uh, basically full time for 12 years. 12 years I traveled the country and other countries as well, giving those types of seminars. Uh, and near the end of that time frame, I was doing somewhere between oh, 40 and 45 seminars a year. I would do one almost every week, uh, all year. And uh, at a certain point, I couldn't handle the traveling anymore and being away that much. And so decided at that point to uh, open a school for trainers. And at the point I could have opened a dog training business at that point in time, but I'd spent the last 12 or 13 years coaching other trainers, like trying to help them improve their training, uh, which is uh, different, of course, than talking to the pet dog training public. Ultimately, these were people that are already obviously very committed to training and <laughs> wanted to get better at it. And so I decided to open a trainer school and that has been 10 years coming up on 11 years now since I opened our, our training school in California. And, uh, so that's the short version of my, my arc as a trainer and somewhere uh, it's been 25, the uh, 1990, uh, is when I discovered the Malinois and, um, got my first Malinois and it was sort of love at first meeting we jived uh, i had been a german shepherd person my whole life and had rottweilers and pit bulls and, and all kinds of dogs but uh when i the malinois i found the malinois we just clicked in the way we kind of approached training they really responded to training the way that i felt that i wanted to train and so um we've now been breeding malinois for 25 years too under the kennel name lou de soleil and uh, um, so heavily involved in the malinois community a little bit as well so it's true that um, there are uh, Betamax videos of your seminars, right? Like, <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I, I'm, I'm sure there are. Yeah. Like that, early, early, early on, I, I like I would totally let people record anything they wanted. Like these days, everyone's careful about what people get to film, where, and that. I didn't do any of that. People showed up at seminars. They videotaped the whole thing. They videotaped me changing my pants. They whatever, right? So there's there's video <laughs> of everything you can possibly imagine out there. I'm sure somebody's got it somewhere. Whether they've converted and put it on the internet, I don't know. But it's all over the place. <laughs> so I, ironically enough, uh, we actually have a puppy from you at our kennel right now that is uh, that went to a uh, like a private dude, and he's not a police officer, uh, and she's super nice. <laughs> She's cool. Uh, what? How old is she? I, she's ah, shit. I think she's like ten months old or eleven months old, and um, she's uh, she's nice. She's she's driving. That's for damn sure. Uh, super <laughs> cool. cool though. Easy to train. That's nice. for damn sure. Nice, no, nice, like nice. Uh, Jamie and Travis and uh, and I have been fucking around with her for quite a while. But she's 
She's cool. Uh, super nice. Really um, cool. So nice. When you um, started, so you compete in a sport. You're Mondio and IPO, or well, whatever IPO. Is yeah, called. Mondio now. Mostly okay. Mondio ring now for sure. Like uh, er, early on, my first exposure to the Malinois. So I started in IPO Schutzend at the time. Now what is it? IGP now, right? They can't keep the name straight. Yeah, um, I don't know. But w- but when 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 I started, that was sort that was really the only sport. It, available like i got into right. to protection sports in the late 80s and ring sport had not really arrived stuart hilliard hosted i think the first french ring seminar in the u.s in the late 80s and you know there was a few people in colorado so it hadn't really arrived and so um ipo Schutzend was my background um and then a friend of mine that was in the club a fellow decoy gary dehue um uh who's in the northeast uh was his mom was Belgian and his dad was an American serviceman and he went back to Belgium uh, to visit his mom and he had a Rottweiler at the time and he came back with all these VHS tapes of video he shot from these Belgian ring clubs in Belgium and I was like holy cow what's that you know like that's amazing uh, these dogs are incredible the big jumps and the crazy long static bites and all this kind of stuff I was just blown away and so we immediately got interested in malinois and that started to send us down that path and so i like the breed based on that um but still there was no ring sport and then some french ring seminars started to happen in the u.s in the early 90s and i was went to some of those and got involved in that but still kind of belgian ring sport was at, at my heart that was what i saw malinois doing in the beginning and it sort of felt right and as a breeding program i think it's extraordinary you know they have they judge the grip. They, they have yeah, muzzle they object do. guards. So the dogs have to work on the, work under control in a muzzle and show power. And they have big jumps and environmental. It's a really super good test of working dogs <laughs> and from a breeding perspective. And so I, I, my heart always wanted to do Belgian ring, but that's not happening anywhere outside of Belgium, and it won't happen anywhere outside of Belgium. So when yeah. Mondio ring arrived on the scene in the U.S. in the mid '90s. Um, I got involved in that because it's basically a hybrid of French ring and Belgian ring. And so it lands kind of right in between. And so I do Mondio ring because it's the closest thing I can get to Belgian ring uh, with no Belgian ring available in the U.S. <laughs> we, uh, one of the a patrol dog, we, God, he's got to be like eight or nine now. <clears throat> he uh, came from a Belgian ring club. And when we got him, they sold him to us and they were like, well, first of all, I have the guys go over there, and I'm like, whose dog does everybody hate? And they all point at some dude in the club, and they're like, that dog, that guy's dog's an asshole. He doesn't out. He's not what, something, right? And I'm like, oh, yeah. oh, perfect. Yeah, I'll take him. So this dog came to us, and I was like, what the fuck is wrong with this dog, right? Like, he was, like, semi-social-ish and <laughs> monster grips, right? And I'm like, what in the hmm. hell is wrong? Beautiful out, great obedience, right? Once he got to know you, you could handle him. Uh, went on to do, have a great career, biting fools and finding drugs and whatever, right? I tried to, he tagged me a couple times. Um, but I was like, what in the hell is wrong with this dog? You know, I was like, why'd they sell him? So uh, I contacted my guy and he was like, oh, it's a 23 point grip. I'm like, do what? Yeah. I was like, oh, it's a 23 point (laughs) grip. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I was like, out of what? Like a hundred, I was like, what's the deal? I had, the, I had no idea what the fuck I was going to start talking about. So, you know, I mean, for those listening, they ju- it's a 25 point grip in, in Belgian ring. Right. And if the dog yep. has a 23 point grip, it's not a nice dog. And now yep. that's this dog. 
would have so much in his mouth that, I mean, it was coming out the other end. I mean, it was impossible to even use a breaker bar on the dog. A lot of times the suit was like not fitting the decoy really well. I mean, it was, it was a, it was a monster. And yep. I was like, I don't know, but they're like, Oh, it's 23 point grip. You can't have that. We'll lose. I'm like you'll, you'll lose. <laughs> they're like, yeah, that's why we're selling. I'm like, Oh shit. If you got any more 23 pointers. So that's the joke now. And every time I contact this guy, I'm like, go find me a 23. And he's like, right? oh, yes, exactly. yes, sir. Yes, sir. Mr. Ted, I will go find a 23. And I've gotten, <laughs> I don't know, in the last couple of years, a couple of dogs like that. And he was like, this dog's got a 22-point grip. I'm like, don't care. Send him over. All right. <laughs> yeah. Ab- no, like, it's absolutely true. They're obsessed yeah. with a very specific kind of grip. There's no doubt. Oh, absolutely. And I'm like, I'll take it. I'll even take a 20. That's fine with me. I don't care. <laughs> but so um, yeah. as you like, kind of start doing some of the Mondio ring stuff, when did you um, start getting involved with law enforcement? So right from the beginning, I was involved in that peripherally. So I, like I mentioned, uh, the club that we trained at shared space with the San Diego PD. And so I would work their dogs for them. I decoyed their competitions. I became friends with uh, uh, a lot of the officers. I got dogs for them uh, on the side a little bit. So I had some, some friends in Europe. And if I came across a good dog, I would get a dog for them. And then when I started doing seminars, I got a fair number of requests for law enforcement seminars as well. So I had done a a number of seminars for departments and mostly just to kind of go in and let people know that like dog training is dog training. I mean, we all camp up so badly, like the sport people or the IPO people don't listen to the ring sport people and the ring sport people don't listen to the IPO people and the agility people don't want to talk to the obedience people and, 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 the law enforcement doesn't want to take information sometimes like the, per, the people that are, that know it's good for them are open, but from the sport community. And for me, like it's all good dog training principles. And so I l- loved doing law enforcement seminars early on. I did the USPCA national seminar a couple of times in DC and uh, did seminars for park police and other departments around the country. And I was, I really enjoyed that work. And I found like, I feel for the situation that law enforcement is in in this country because so many of the choices and decisions that they make in terms of training and dogs and stuff are driven by economics and it's trickled down from people running departments and making budgets and things like that that have no idea about what good dog training is, right? So this idea that they get a budget for a certain type of dog, they don't want to spend more money up front. Some, somebody that's handling a budget doesn't want to send money up front. They're trying to save money. They shorten academies, all the stuff that you go through. And I've I've sat and drunk with many a many a police officer that would like love to have dogs raised from the ground up for law enforcement, meaning the dogs are socialized appropriately, trained appropriately early on. But instead, what you do is you get green dogs or sport dog washouts or some dog that someone's trained to look good on a test but has many training problems. And a lot of the things that people do to make a dog look good on a test are things that um, make the dogs oppositional and difficult in training, right? So instead of Mm -hmm. kind of fostering a cooperative attitude with their handler from the ground up, and that's what you're dealt and frequently dealt by to people that aren't dog trainers. Like, so certainly you guys, I'm preaching to the choir here, but you guys all know that, that you get on canine units typically in, in departments around the country based on your service record and seniority, not on dog training experience. So here you take somebody that may have never had a dog or never trained a dog, certainly, and you hand them a two-year-old cranked up dog that has had 
bad training or wrong kinds of experiences. And then now you shorten all their academies. When I started it, it, like when I was around San Diego PD in the late 80s, early 90s, the academy was 16 weeks, four months long. And and they were at that time, nobody was really getting green dogs. They were buying dogs that um, had been in sport clubs and had washed out for some reason. Oh, they didn't jump quite well enough or they had 23 point grip or whatever kind of thing. But the dogs had training. Right. So they had four months on a dog that had foundation training too. Now departments, like I've run across departments lately, people say, oh yeah, our, our, our academy's six weeks. And I'm like, six weeks? And they're like, oh yeah, and our department wants us to get green dogs, right? Because they're less expensive and they don't want training problems. And I'm like, six weeks with a green dog? have fun so you guys really deserve yeah. <laughs> a lot of credit for soldiering oh, on and, yeah. and making the best of the situations that you have because the truth of the matter is that it the way the system works here and it's not this way in other countries of course you know i'm sure you're you talk to the dutch you talk to the germans you, like their departments are nationally funded they have police yeah. dog schools if you're going to go to school you go to school for a year to become a canine handler they raise dogs from the ground up to be good prospects for law enforcement. They have national programs for that. And it should be the same here, right? All right, I'm off my soapbox now, but yeah. No, no, that will be another episode. So for those listening, we're gonna reference this episode 100 and, and the future because that's a very salient point. And, you know, I talk about that a lot too with some of our vendors and, and you know, Eric's the same thing. Eric and I use some of the same vendors um, and we're like, this is what we need. And they kind of argue with you about it. And you're like, look, man, like, I don't care. Even with all the other shit going on right now, like, the United States is a weird thing. Like, they police differently here. We do things differently here. It's almost like it's its own country with its own set of laws. So mm -hmm. it's very difficult for the Europeans to imagine, like, how we do things here. And um, I've said it several times, and I'm like, nobody really cares how you guys do it in Holland or in Belgium or in Germany or whatever else, like, because it's your own fucking country. Like, that's what you do. Yeah. Right? So you yep. raise them for your purposes. And, you know, for the way that we do things here, it's not necessarily the best pro process, but, I mean, it's definitely better than nothing. But, you know, and it's something that, you know, we say, you know, this is what we want. So, you know, they... You know, they this is going down a road of, of them sort of dictating to us what they think we should be doing. And we're like, you fundamentally don't understand the court system, the legal system. You don't understand yeah. Graham versus sure. Connor. Absolutely. You don't understand Robin yep. Everett's barn. You don't understand any of that shit. And all of that is relevant. So this is what we need. And they're mm -hmm. like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm like, I know this is what I want. And yeah. so yeah, for sure. So, um, and it's and it's challenging to for, like I I can't speak to that stuff either, but I can speak to the dog training portion of it, you know. And certainly, like I have discussion. I'm one of my dear friends is uh, Dr. Stuart Hilliard at, that runs the programs down at Lackland uh, for the military, right? And he and I have had many a discussion about the foundation of dogs that are coming into law enforcement. The military does the same thing that most departments do as well, which is they have these big buying trips to Europe and they buy 60 dogs at a time, green dogs and that sort of thing. Brokers are certainly not bringing the best dogs and there's, you know, the, the, all the stuff that everybody deals with and these dogs that have not been raised to with, with, with the foundation done properly from the ground up. 
And so when the military started their puppy program, right, uh, where they have now a breeding program that does can't even come close at this point to satisfying the needs of the entire military, but they do it. You talk to handlers in the field and ask them if they'd rather have a puppy program dog or a bot dog. Oh, they all want a puppy program dog, right? But of course, those dogs are more expensive if you from the from the bean counter perspective at the top they're like well we buy we bought a four thousand dollar dog or a three thousand dollar dog or whatever in europe and now here it is working the puppies by the time you raise them and figure in the washouts and all their vet care and everything else you know they're, they're fifteen thousand twenty thousand more who knows right but they're infinitely better right and until we get a shift in kind of the way we think about this and the way we're going to fund it anyway sorry I'm back on the soapbox. Off. <laughs> no, no, Whatever no. else you want to it, talk it about. Needs to be said. <laughs> it needs to be said. Well, yeah. well, here's the thing I was just telling somebody the other day is, and this is where it's important, and Ted and I have talked to several people about this, about starting the programs in the U.S. to provide dogs, is I truly believe at some point in the next couple of years, the airlines are going to stop shipping dogs. They're just going to say, we're oh, not yeah. doing it anymore. The, uh, the, I believe over in Europe... Um, KLM, for example, is trying to price it out of business. Yeah. They don't want yeah, you shipping sure. dogs. That's what, yeah. that's why I'm it's not alone. You know, yeah. I, I bought three dogs. There was 2000 euro to ship them. Yeah. Not a piece, yeah. but total. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. We sport, uh, sport dog trainers where you deal with it all the time. Like if you qualify for the world championships, you're going to fly your dog with you to Europe even. Right. So outside of air France is still reasonable, but some of the other, are you kidding? Like if you have a big size dog, they want a 700 crate to make sure that its ears don't top the top. And it's $1,000 each way to fly with your dog to Europe, right? And and that's, you're, you're spot on. They just want, they just want to uh, price it out of existence. They don't want to deal with it. It's not worth it for them financially, I don't think. And there's liability involved and headaches. And I think that you're, you're spot on. They want to, they want to make it go away. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about without that. saying I mean, they do to alienate their well, customers. <laughs> I mean, I remember about I think 2015, I imported five dogs at once, and I think I paid 800 euros total to ship them. And, oh, yeah. that's um, normal, right? But then, literally, like six months later, I imported a single female, and it was 1,200 euros for a single dog, and yeah. the price has no. And there was nothing that happened. Like nothing yep. happened. And I was like, what the fuck? And, and I asked the importer, the vendor, I'm like, dude, he's like, that's the price. I'm like, no, that can't be the price. That was the price. So I was like, yep. what the hell? And it's never recovered. And I mean, now it is, it's gotten even worse and sure. with no explanation. I mean, with nothing. And just be like, oh, that's the price. I'm like, what the fuck? It, airline tickets haven't increased the price that much, especially right now. But I mean, yeah. it, it, it's, yeah, 110% has been, which kind of highlights why we need a domestic program in the United States. But absolutely. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so Michael, yes. um, before we before we end up taking our break and getting into some of the uh, deep into the obedience stuff, one of the questions that we see a ton, and it's directed to Ted a lot because Ted's a civilian, is you obviously broke into the police side um, pretty deep into it. Um, you know, it, and you have a look that people could judge is like, who's this dude? His hair's all the way down to the middle of his back and, <laughs> and, you know, and, and whatever. And talk to guys about, cause we get a ton of people asking, 
or they just frustrated. They're like, I want to help and I can't get in. Um, I'm sure you get asked that. How, how do you bridge that gap? How do you break in that? That's a really good question. And I, and I'm not sure, certainly, but I can give you a, like a hypothesis, I think. And I think at the time when I was starting, uh, I was lucky enough to be and in a, and hang out in a variety of clubs that had um, active law enforcement officers as members of the club that had a had a police dog and were also training a sport dog. Or at the time, some of the departments would they they were doing doing it with their police dog, right? They were able to. Now most departments wouldn't let you do that, and then there's some cross training issues and things like that. But at the time, like so, there were a fair number of officers in the clubs that I was involved in or connected to them in some fashion. And so I think they vouched for me in a sense, like when I hit a spot and was my, my, my work was good in their eyes, then they, they told other people. And I think there are a variety of people around the country that were involved in law enforcement. Usually they were handlers that were looking for a better way. They'd run up against training problems in their, um, with a specific dog or in their department. And they asked other officers they knew if there was somebody to go to. And I think I got referred to a couple of those people from law enforcement people that I'd, that I'd known in clubs. And, uh, and after you kind of got your toe in the door, then people would listen. And I always felt that if you show people what good dog training looks like, it should be relatively obvious. And, and then people were on board at that point. And I'm sure there are still people that are that out there that go like, oh, you know, sports stuff's not police stuff and there's nothing for me to learn there. But I think that if you're in, around dog training long enough, then you're looking for ideas from anywhere you can get them. Right. And so at that point, people were were more than more than willing. And uh, and at that point, I, I got in. I think the club structure has changed a lot from when I started. And so it, at the point that. I was entering the world of protection dogs and protection sports. Clubs were absolutely that clubs. They were not for profit groups of people helping each other train in a way, right? And dogs as a business has gone crazy, which is great. Thank goodness for me. It's like it supports me and you and all of us right. now. Yeah. But but at the, but at the time it was much more of a hobby type thing, and so. Um, they were open to helping new people and a lot of that kind of stuff. And so some of the officers in the clubs that I worked with, I helped them out. I did decoy work for their dogs. They were, they had obedience issues that I helped them troubleshoot. And then that was my in at that point, they would tell people like, yeah, he looks like a hippie and yeah, he wears pink tights underneath his bite suit, but like, listen to him. He, he knows what he's talking about. So <laughs> I think that's how it happened. And it's, I, I don't, it's hard to tell people now. Like, I think, the thing is, you have to be patient. You have to be committed to the idea of training and you have to hang around. You have to be willing to do kind of grunt work. You have to be willing to be the first one there to help them set up and the last one away to leave. And if you're like that, so many people come in and they realize, they go, oh, I want to go there and help get my get my dog trained and they realize how much work it is and, and people just kind of blow them off. So if you're dedicated and you keep showing up and, and that kind of thing, then people will notice it. Uh, uh, but you have to be patient and you have to be in for the long haul, which means you have to like the work, right? You have to like it. And I didn't put any pressure on myself in the beginning stages. I didn't intend to make it a business. So I just did it cause I dug it. And so I kept at it and didn't, 
it, it wasn't like, okay, tomorrow I need, you know, I need to start making money at this or any of that kind of thing. So mm, it built kind of organically and slowly over a long time. Was there anything that you see from then to whatever today is June something, uh, 2020, yeah, June 17th, 17th, June 17th, 2020. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Are there any common issues that you see then that you also see now in uh, canine and law enforcement? Uh, yeah, yes. Surprisingly, I like. I would think um, there there are still a lot more. There are a lot more people that look at obedience as a purely coercive endeavor than there should be. Like when I started, there were, that was everything. Like obedience was all about, like, you listen to me, like it's oppositional. I got to show you who's boss. I'm going to beat you up and then you'll listen to me. That kind of attitude about the way I approach it. And there was a lot of that. And what I'm surprised at is that the fact that it's still out there now with, we can, we can talk about the internet and the good things and the bad things about the internet. And there's a lot of crap out there and there's a lot of, smoke and mirrors and bad stuff, but it is a great source for disseminating information. And so I feel like at this day and age that people should be able to go out and see a different approach to it, even if they couldn't travel to it. You know, at the time when I started, none of that stuff was available. If you wanted to learn something new, you had to go to a club, you had to go to a department, you had to go out and to a seminar. Like there was no material available for anybody online or any of that kind of stuff. And so I'm always kind of constantly surprised that it's much better than it was. And there are many very progressive departments and training directors that have their act together, but that, that, that stuff still exists. There are still people out there that think it's really all about kind of dominance and being the one in charge and that obedience has to be oppositional, right? Uh, in that way. And so that stuns me because it's still there. I run into police officers still uh, to this day that are looking at it the same way. Their mindset is that same way. And they're fighting against their dog instead of working with their dog, right? Which is not to say, of course, that there's not pressure in dog training, right? So, of course, like caveat, yes, I we, we use corrections. Yes, we use tools of punishment. But it's a mindset about how those are applied and your relationship with the dog and what your dog thinks of that stuff. And I'm, I'm still surprised at that. Like Eric to, says to it best. He says, so. you know, if you show up to a training group and all they have on are choke chains and six-footers, you're like... I know exactly what's going yeah, on. Trouble. <laughs> right. I saw something the other day. Some dude was like, it's, this is 2020. I don't remember what it was, but it's this year. And this guy was like, I'm having to justify to my unit trainer why I need an e-collar. I'm like, new what? And he, he said, yeah. yeah, you know, I'm having to, I didn't say it, but somebody was like, what now? And he said, yeah, no, I'm having to justify to my unit trainer and somebody else with heavy with a heavy collar up the line said you know oh, i have to justify why i'm using an e-collar and i was like somebody said you know are you justifying the cost because you know they're 250 bucks or whatever right yeah right and, yeah, they're, not that and they're like no justifying the use and i'm like oh what the fuck right and like it's one of those questions i didn't even know how to answer yeah i'm like i didn't well, even, you, i didn't say it i didn't say anything. you would think that, like, that you what the fuck? yeah i mean yeah they made the jump from revolvers be, to Glocks. Changed, changed, so, I mean, right? yeah, I mean, they, moved, they made the jump from revolvers to Glocks. So, I mean, clearly they, you know, I mean, there's not a problem yeah. there. 
<laughs> and it's so true. Like, like so I certainly so certainly when I start when I started like uh, early on I so the e collars one the collars of the late 80s and early 90s were not nearly as subtle as the modern collars are right <laughs> they were like yeah, yeah. Uh, hot hot and hotter right in that sense but also we we the my initial introduction to the e collar was like it was for many people of that era which was it was the biggest stick you'd exhausted all your other possibilities and so now we go to the e-collar right and of course that's mm -hmm. that's not the way to use it if you do that you're not going to fix anything you're going to make shit worse pardon and so at that at that point i saw the collar misused a lot early in my career too and so there was a big stretch of time where i didn't use them either i'm like mm, man people people are those things are bad and then, of course, you realize, like once you start to get exposed to people training with them better, you kind of reevaluate their use and you reincorporate them. Then there's been a progression. And then now there's tons of information about how to use an e-collar well and smart and subtly. It's not necessarily the biggest stick. It functions just like any other tool in training. And that's the kind of thing that's surprising to me now, that there are still holdouts. And typically that decision-making person is obviously not tapped into the dog training world and community at this point. They may be tapped into political concerns in their area, or they may not know anything about it, and they have their own biases based on what they think it is, not what it actually is. But that's that's another one of those things. It's surprising. Like that tool is invaluable when it's used correctly and smart. And so the fact that somebody's still going like, "Oh no, no, you have to prove you need it." What do you mean you have to prove you need it? Like it's just one of the many Listen, tools we, we should have in our toolbox for every dog. That's crazy. We still come across training groups or a department with three, four, five dogs that have an e-collar and a prong collar. One. So they get to pass it around. Right? Yeah, go get yeah. the e-collar for this dog. He won't out. Go get Can you the say collar-wise collar. really fast? Oh, yeah. It's like, holy shit, man. Really? I'm, Meanwhile, what year you, show is it? Up, you show up at my kennel, and I'm like, which remote does this collar go to? <laughs> yeah, that, that's another problem. Like, I, I, I have to say that I, I'm uh, actually I, I am old school in terms of e-collars. Like now, not in, in not in how we use them, of course. Sorry, let's make sure I make that clear. But um, in the like, they've gotten so crazy fancy. And people with like two dog units and three dog units, and ones that have flashing lights and tones that sound and like all that kind of stuff. I'm like, no, 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 no. Just give me a really simple very smooth collar that has a low end to high end very smooth transitions it has a momentary it has a continuous and it has some readout that i can see with my bad eyes and i don't want more than one dog on this road i'm good then <laughs> that's all we need <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, uh, <laughs> all right so we're going to go ahead and take a break like with when we're talking about obedience we're going to talk about what you actually can do with obedience how you need to take that dirty taste out of your mouth when you even say the word obedience. We'll be right back. Yeah. All right, guys, uh, we just got word. Everybody did that the HITS conference was canceled, unfortunately, due to all this stuff. Um, you know, they, they thought they could get it going and everything, but with everybody being afraid to travel, a police department's not wanting to send guys. They really want it to be, you know, a thousand people there like they do, thousand plus. It is truly the best seminar in the country you can't miss out but ted it's not canceled totally correct no nah, they're moving it to uh, july 6th through the 9th in scottsdale arizona uh in 2021 
So um, all the instructors are going to be the same. All the vendors are going to be the same. We're just moving it to July 6th through the 9th in 2021. In the meantime, though, um, the boys over there have started another podcast. Um, it's been going for a while. So if you can't, since we're not going to be able to go to hits in 2020, head over and look them up for um, Hits K9 Radio. They just um, have some really, really good podcasts up. Um, they're a little shorter than ours. And they're still giving out good information just like we are, which is the whole point of the entire process that we're going on here and over there and the entire point of Hits K9 in general. So unfortunately, uh, 2020 is off, but we will see everybody July 6th through the 9th in Scottsdale, Arizona, 2021. And Ray Allen Canine Manufacturing, it's no secret that we love Ray Allen Canine Equipment. We use their products every single day. Their mission statement says it all, to be a world leader in quality and innovation of professional canine equipment for police, military, Schutzen, and ring sport to exceed our customers' expectations and delivery on time, every time, at a fair price. We full-heartedly believe they've held true to that since it is our go-to one-stop shop for everything dog one of the longtime sponsors of working dog radio from the beginning has been highland canine in north carolina tactical police canine aka highland canine in north carolina offers training seminars and consulting globally for police military and non-government agencies they provide customized training programs to address specific problems and meet the needs of your organization Check out their wide array of handler courses, instructor courses, supervisor courses, and online courses at tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. Jason and Aaron Ferguson are two of our most favorite people, and they have been with us since the beginning, so hit them up. We get it. Fueling a working dog can be tough, but they need that high-quality food to give them the energy and nutrients that they require for the work we ask them to do. Kinetic Dog Food has a great balance of healthy meats and grains and is made specifically for working and sporting dogs. They have a full line of foods and supplements available, and they've been working to perfect their line with thousands of dogs in hundreds of departments across the U.S., and you can buy it locally, online, or at Tractor Supply. Another one of our favorite partnerships is with the one and only Dogtra. These guys are producing some amazing tools in the dog training world, Everything from e-collars, GPS tracking, ball training, bark collars. If it's electronic, Dogtra is the best. They are truly revolutionizing the way you communicate with your dog. Plus, they give us a great discount code. Go to Dogtra.com. Everybody hears me say all the time, you can't teach dogs to bite people and act shocked when they do. Inevitably, I get bit. You've all heard me talk about how I get tagged and being tagged by a dog sucks. So I've used quick term uh, to help myself. Uh, but before I had to go to the doctor's office, uh, it, it definitely helped keep down infection and everything else. And I've had some uh, non-scarring because of it too. So it's pretty good, but it's no exaggeration. The stuff is great. Once daily treatment for any skin condition on small wounds to help stop little issues from becoming big ones that your admins are sure to love. It comes in a spray, it comes in an ointment, it comes in a dressing. Quick Derm is great at creating protective barrier and promoting wound healing. There's no reason not to have a bottle of this in the patrol car, or your kennel, or your first aid cabinet. Plus, it's, it's uh, temperature stable. So you can keep it in the patrol car when it's cold, when it's hot, whenever, and it'll still be good. Make sure you hit them up at vetcare.us and use the discount code 10WDR 
for a discount on your first purchase, which is going to be 10%. Have you ever dreamed of having your own kennel but don't know where to start? Horizon Structures has taken all of the guesswork out of building a kennel. Everything is pre-built to your specifications and preferences and then assembled and dropped off at your land. Boom, new kennels. And these things are amazing. You've got to see them to truly believe them. Their website, horizonstructures.com, is a one-stop shop. Build your best kennel, your favorite things you want. Check it out, horizonstructures.com. All right, everybody, we are back. Thank you for sticking with us and our sponsors. Go make sure you go back and um, look at the discount codes. They're in the show notes if you skip the commercials, which many of you do. Um, <laughs> for those of you who don't like commercials, don't forget on Patreon.com, Working Dog Radio, it is commercial-free a day early. So uh, you can't beat True that. that. So bef- before we get back in here with Michael Ellis, um, my daughter just walked in here when we were um, in between segments here. And um, so back in, I don't know when this was, she was in grade school and she's wearing a cheerleader uniform. And uh, there's a picture of she and I in this, uh, her cheerleader uniform. She's sitting on the counter. She just came in in the cheerleader uniform, which she has to turn back in because she graduated uh, with that picture. And she wants to reenact it when we're done. So uh, just one more, just one more um, punch in my face that she's getting older and moving on. So, uh, but anyways, <laughs> enough of my sadness. Um, well, let's get back to Michael Ellis. So um, besides the um, obvious stuff that we know about Michael, one of the things if you watch, guys, these ring sport dudes of any kind of ring sports is the speed at which their dogs do the work and do the obedience and the things they get them to do through the use of obedience and everybody in the police world, not everybody, a lot of people in the police world, um, obedience is just something you do to get ready for a certification. And it's usually not all that pleasant for the dog. All these guys, you're listening out there. You're like, yeah, every time we go do obedience, my dog is yawning, shaking, you know, shaking off whatever obvious stress. Cause we're just not really doing things right. Um, I've mentioned on here several times, Ted have ta- and I've talked about it. I've changed when I took over a trainer, I got away from the yank and crank and I've changed my system three or four times so as to just to have as get as much productivity out of the dog as I can and have the dog enjoy the obedience, whether he even knows it or not. Um, so Michael, if you will talk about, um, things that you're seeing guys in the police world are missing out on. Sure. So I think the biggest thing is going to be ultimately our conception of what obedience is, right? And the dog's mindset about it. And we mentioned this when we were talking a little bit ahead of time, this idea that um, obedience is compulsory, like obedience is making you stop do the things, doing the things that you want to do. It's making you listen to me when you don't want to listen to me, right? This It's kind of inherent in the name. Like you might have, it will be obedient to me. And so it's connected to that paradigm, right? And what we want ideally to set up from the beginning is the idea that obedience is not um, uh, a bad thing. Obedience is the way with which you access the most important things in your life, right? And if we show the dog very early on that doing certain things is the pathway or the portal 
to the things you want most. And when we're talking about dogs for police work or any kind of high level sport work, those dogs like to bite, they like to play, they, they like, they, they have passions, right? And it's us showing them in a controlled way without pressure, without fighting with them. This is what you do to get to that. And then once a dog clicks with that, there's a completely different mindset. The dog now doesn't necessarily want to fight against you with the commands. They basically fight to do them as quickly as possible so they can get on to the next thing, which is accessing what they want in the world. Right. And so that, that initial concept is really important. Right. The other is how we use pressure. Pressure is essential. Like there's no way you get reliable things. You have dogs that are in very high states of arousal. They're going to get fired up when dogs already have something that they want. Why would they give it up to go back and do something else? And so there's lots of places where obviously pressure will be necessary, but pressure or punishment works when the dog knows clearly what they need to do to avoid it. Right. And the problem I think in law enforcement a lot is somebody gets dogs that have the frequently officers get dogs that have very little teaching. So one, those dogs already have a sort of like mm, oppositional idea of what obedience is. That's where you make me stop doing something I want to do. Right. And so the dogs already have the wrong mindset there. And then on top of that, they haven't been taught. There was no teaching going into it. And so you, and frequently officers or trainers are trying to use pressure in the teaching phase. And the problem with that is, is you don't know how to shut off or avoid pressure or punishment if you don't know what to do. And so if you teach ahead of that and be in a thoughtful way, you break things down into small pieces that dogs can digest, you show them those pieces, and then they understand one, that doing this will get me what I want, and two, I know what it is you're asking me, then if I apply pressure or punishment to you, the dog goes, oh yeah, yeah, I know what that is. And I know I can avoid this discomfort by doing it this other way, which I already know how to do, right? And so that's the core of it at its base. And it's, it's an entire mindset about the whole process. The idea that you need to put off ideally there are places in which people rush it and do things quickly and they apply pressure and the dog learns something under pressure and they say see well it worked for this dog but for every dog that's like that and especially when we're talking about police dogs these dogs are meant to fight back against pressure when they don't know what it's for right like if somebody's hurting you and you don't know what to do to make that stop what do you do you fight back right and so these are not the kind of dogs that you're going to correct them and they're going to go like, oh, okay, okay, right? They, they they actually have to know what to do to avoid the correction. Otherwise, they're going to fight harder, right? And we see it with outing. We see it with obedience. We see it with all that kind of stuff as we go along. The, and the idea that obedience is somehow separate, that's another thing that I saw a lot is that people go out and practice their obedience in a, you know, a park with a ball stuck under their arm or holding a tug above the dog's head, paying lip service to the use of rewards and training. And then that doesn't look anything like the finished picture, right? And there's a whole host of steps in between that I think lots of trainers in law enforcement uh, are not fam familiar with all the middle steps to so go from, okay, like, hey, the reward's driving the behavior to your behavior's driving the production of a reward you didn't see, taught at low arousal, and then gradually increasing the arousal level to the place where you're in a full-blown fight and you'll still listen to me. Right. And so ultimately, I think those are the key points, right? The idea that it's the dog's attitude about what obedience is. It's the handler's attitude. 
it's teaching before pressure, and then finally applying pressure to a dog that's fluent with a behavior instead of trying to teach under pressure. I, uh, I have scars that prove exactly what you just said. <laughs> so um, do I. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, it, the one thing I say on day one of my dual purpose schools, right, is I'm like, you can't teach dogs to bite people, and I'm shocked when they do, and they'll look at me, and I'm like, okay, I'm not kidding. And, <laughs> you know, and I say, and, you know, and I kind of try to introduce the idea of the quadrant, and I'm like, the dog has to understand why you're correcting him, and the correction has to be like relative to the infraction. Like if he doesn't sit, mm-hmm. you can't fucking pound on him because he's going to bite you because that's what they do. They're trained to find drugs yeah. and bite shitheads. Don't be a shithead. Yeah. And especially <laughs> under pain, like they don't yeah. make a good police dog if they just fold when you under a little bit of pressure or a little I, bit I mean, of discomfort, my, right? So my personal Malinois, he's not, he'll be nine this year. And I had, I got him when he was eight weeks old. And if I overcorrect him today, he will bite me. And, <laughs> Well, and now, yeah. granted, he's a little slower, but he'll definitely look at me, and I'm like, yeah, that's my bad. Sorry, dude. And, but <laughs> I have been fucked up more times than I can count That where I get emotional, and I'm like, you motherfucker. And, like, and I'll pop a dog super hard with a pinch, and it's on. And I'm like, yeah, that was my fault. You hit it right there, too. Yeah. You hit it right there with the emotional yep. part, right? This is this is something that everybody struggles with. Anybody that tells you they never get frustrated, they never get it's angry, they never get in it. They're lying. <laughs> yes, they're not telling you the truth, right? That's for sure. And there's no doubt. But a huge part of your path as a dog trainer is, is, is learning to control that. Learning to recognize that, like emotional reactions to those things serve no one they don't serve you the dog's not going to process information in the same way none of those things and and we all have to check it but what you do is you gain experience is you recognize those situations and you walk away right people are afraid to leave a situation when it's not going well like if you feel yourself going there deep breath step out of it go put the dog up come back later like yep. you and you'll learn to and you'll learn to identify that in yourself and you'll check it and oh, I've yeah. certainly struggled with it over the course of my life too. There's no doubt. If you're a good dog trainer, you're a little bit of a control freak. Like the people that are best at this like to break. They like the details. They want it to go well. They're invested. They're very goal oriented. But that can bite you in the ass. And so long term, yep. you have to recognize those signs in yourself and go. Time for a break. My Namaste. my mentor, out, right? my mentor and partner at the kennel, Scott. He's an old fucking grumpy ass Green Beret, an old SWAT dude, and I mention him all the time on the podcast. But he, I mean, he's my mentor, right? And he's substantial. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's probably gonna be pissed that I said that. But whatever. So his birthday was last week. Happy birthday, Scott! Everybody loves you. Happy birthday, Scott! Um, he uh, he's every. Th- 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 when I first started working with him, he was like, why are you in such a hurry to get bit? I'm like, the fuck are you talking about old man? And he was like, why are you in such a hurry to get this dog to bite you? I'm like, what are you talking about? He was like, that dog is going to fuck you up. I'm like, no, he's not. And they did. So, yep. and I finally figured it out. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and when he was yep. like, you know, if you keep hammering him, he's going to pound you. And so Eric said it best when we were up in Hammond last time. You know, there was a dog, like, and, you know, Eric and I both end up for misfits, dogs that are kind of misfits or other programs, dogs that fuck up handlers and fuck up other trainers and guys that are heavy-handed. And I'm really good about not getting bit. And Eric said it, Eric, you, the other day, you were like, uh, somebody was describing a dog that was, like, super aggressive to, like, people that, like, overcorrected him. It was like, oh, it sounds like a fucking torchlight dog. And I'm like, no, I mean, <laughs> yeah. not, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I mean, but 
Not really, but yes. So I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to correct. I'm going to correct it. If they know why I'm correcting him, no problem, right? And yeah. that's the problem. Like if I start, I'm like, if I pop a dog and they kind of look at me and I'm like, you have no idea why you're doing that, right? I'm like, yeah. Let's go back to the kennel, buddy, and we'll figure this shit out later. I'm not going to fucking fight with you about it right now because I don't want you to bite me. Absolutely. So. <laughs> it's 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 the yes. way. It's exactly the way we are as human beings, right? So you have no problem with consequences if you've been explained ahead of time what you need to do to avoid the consequences you tell me what the rules are and i know what the yep. rules are and there's a consequence for violating the rules i accept that that's that's the way the society living in a civil society it's the way it works right in that sense but with and we dogs are the same way like they will handle a lot from us if we explain the rules first but that's essential right yeah that early part's got to happen. Yeah, that's funny. I was just about to ask you, do you believe that the dogs in that whole uh, a fair and unfair correction is based on how they handle it? And that you just explained it, so I don't even have to ask it. Um, yeah, and, so and, I, um, and fair is, of course, our word, right? But, uh, but yeah, right, that's yeah. the basic idea for sure. Yeah, yeah. Clear is probably a, a, a better, maybe a better term. Yeah, um, exactly. So when you go, when you've gone to police... Uh, training groups and things like that. Um, what are some of the things that you've gone in and fixed that made you look like a wizard to this dude, but it was so oh, yeah. basic and elementary that you, that you would something you probably see a lot and you walk away and they're like, holy shit. And you're like lighting your hair on fire. And you're like, that's right, bitches. I just dropped the mic and walk out. Certainly, <laughs> <laughs> so it, it it happens occasionally. It doesn't happen super often, and the reason it doesn't is that most troubleshooting of established problems is and is what you see a lot when you would do police dog seminars. You'd go in, and somebody'd have the dog that had an outing problem, or you know went to bite them every time they said down, or whatever those kinds of things were. Um, and they'd already thrown everything at the dog plus the kitchen sink, right? And so the troubleshooting of that type of problem, the ones that that are are really well established, are long, slow, methodical things. And mo I, I, I say all the time that good dog training is undramatic. If there's a lot of drama, oh, God. then yeah. you're skipping steps. You're doing things wrong. Dog training is incremental and consistent and small baby steps. And if you do it right, there's a gradual, and suddenly, you know, like, look, I got a trained dog and nothing crazy ever happened, right? I mean, of course, that's that when people have problems, it's usually they've skipped some of those steps. So there, a lot of that kind of stuff wouldn't have a quick magic solution. But a, a bunch of stuff that, that, that always made, people would think you were crazy, right? Um, but afterwards would realize, and so outing is a classic one, right? So I'll just use this since I'm the out guy, right? right? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> I guess. But, uh, yeah. So outing is one of those things, right? So somebody has a police dog that doesn't want to out. And the dog's been choked off, tactical lift off, whatever. The dog hasn't outed. They've already fought with the dog. They've used prongs and e-collars and everything else, right? They've, they've done everything to the dog. So this dog hears out and thinks, like, the fight's on, right? Oh. The command now is a signal for war, right? And so 
uh, I would do some of the things that we did was like, okay, we're going to get this dog to realize that letting go of something isn't the end. And so we'd go back to kind of puppy work with a three-year-old police dog, right? And so I would put a, put a piece of equipment on, give the dog a bite, and then I'd sit in a chair and let the dog bite, not saying anything, holding it, the body part still, and wait for the dog to let go. The longest one I had was 45 minutes. Dog is working oh, for 45 nice. minutes. Impressive. Like I'm dripping sweat is intense, right? So dog lets go after 45 minutes. I immediately let him bite me again. Bam, bite me again, right? Same thing and do it. The next time he lets go in like five minutes, the next time it's a minute, the next time it's 10 seconds, the dog's exhausted at this point. So he bites me a little bit and then let's go. I'm like, okay, put him up, right? To come back out again, you do it another time. And now the first time he stays on you for a minute or whatever, and then it's 10 seconds and it's five seconds. And, you know, by the end of three or four sessions, that dog is letting go without command. We're not saying anything, right? Uh, after a few seconds kind of thing. And he immediately gets to bite again kind of gig. Then reintroduce a new word, right, uh, to the dog. Don't say whatever you've been saying. Don't say out. Don't say los. Don't say whatever. You know, say give, break, whatever change the word and go through that process and then reinstitute pressure after that because that's a totally passive thing it's not the same thing of biting off somebody that's running and the dogs in lower states of morale all that kind of stuff but people would be amazed that that dog who they'd done everything possible to to get it to let go would let go without any words and without any fight in the course of two or three days right and it doesn't mean you're finished at that point but they were like shocked we did all this other stuff and there, there it was. That that's a dog that had never been explained that to them that outing isn't the end of what you want. It's a way to reaccess the things that you want, right? And outing is just something, an interruption to get back to doing what you want again, and back to that discussion of obedience and those things where the dog has to learn that hey, listening to someone isn't a fight. Listening to someone is a way to get the things that I want, and I really want to bite, and here. I know. And then at that point, if you apply pressure to the dog, the dog accepts the pressure. It's very clear about its job, right? Kind of thing. And then there's lots of little things in obedience where handlers have been fighting, standing on the leash to try to get the dog to lay down and, you know, just showing them easy, inducive ways to show the dog what to do and then start. But one of the big things is that a lot in law enforcement, and this is true in sport clubs as well, that lots of people want to tackle the problem at the source. So your dog, when he's really fired up, he's in the presence of the decoy yeah. and you want to ask him to lay down, <laughs> then he's not fight. laying down. <laughs> but that's where they want to do it. So yeah. instead, this idea of taking it and reducing the arousal level and showing the dog a similar picture, but at a lower state of arousal until the dog is fluent and then raising the arousal level a little and doing it. So it's the classic thing is food, then toy, then bite wedge than decoy or whatever you want to say, right? The kind of thing. Yep. But there's a way of kind of breaking those things down that I think lots of people in law enforcement or I did seminars hadn't even really thought about that. It was just like, well, the problem's here. What am I doing over there with like a piece of food in front of the dog on the ground and getting him to lay down to go get the piece of food, right? And they're like, that seems, how's that going to solve my problem? But it's the idea that the dog goes, oh, I get it. While I'm focused on something I want, listening to you, gets it for me instead of going to the place of most arousal and then fighting with their dog over it kind of thing. Yeah. So it was lots of that. My, my, most of the stuff is just 
good, really basic fundamental dog training and just getting a mindset that they're also breaking things down. Right. So uh, I, we, we say at the school all the time and I talk to people like there are two categories of trainers. There are what I call the lumpers and the splitters. Right. And the lumpers want to teach big behavior chains all like one thing. Right. Oh, and so yeah. they want to teach healing all in one go kind of thing or whatever the, the behavior is. And, and then there are the splitters where we say, okay, what's the dog have to do? And what are all the individual behaviors within that chain? And if I break them out and obviously I'm, I'm advocating for splitting, right? If you break yeah. things down, then you can get success on a lot of little things. When I do, when I lump, the dog may be doing one thing right and one thing wrong at the same time. And so when I reward the right thing, I reward the wrong thing. When I punish the wrong thing, I punish the right thing, right? So learning that idea of pulling pieces out to work on them, reducing arousal and then coming back around, that w w felt like a new thing to lots of people. Like they hadn't really been shown that way. They Like the old school way of teaching the dog to heal, you put a dog on a six foot leash and start walking and get out in front of you, change directions and yank them off their feet, the lunge in them. The, Killer method of training kind of thing that right. oh, still yeah. out there surprisingly I right a, i think i've told this before but i have a funny story about we bought a dog from somebody one of the dogs that everybody hated and uh they they're like oh he's got an out i'm like oh cool so they're like what's this and it was from a kmpb club they're like well, i'm like i assume it's low so like yeah i'm like all right cool so the dog comes over super social right like get him out of the kennel and he's like leaning on me and i'm like oh get away from me dude you know, and I'm like, don't bite me type thing. And <laughs> he's super, like, he goes into my office and, like, sits down and, like, he jumps up on the desk and wants me to pet him. I'm like, oh, okay. You know what I mean? This is a big <laughs> dog, right? I'm like, this motherfucker. I was like, I don't trust this dog. I'm like, something's up. So I put him on a back tie and Josh, my decoy's there. And I'm like, ah, Stellan, he fucking nukes him, right? I'm like, all right, cool. So I break him off with a breaker bar. No problem. Nothing, right? Not at all. Doesn't care. Didn't even care that I'm standing there. I'm like, all right, we're going to try and out him. So experience <laughs> kind of told me from the past that I would probably need to be outside the circle of trust. And so I was like, dog name, I don't remember. The dog's name was like Drago or Dr started with a D. Dink, I don't know. His fucking name was. <laughs> I know where he, I know which department he went to. He's an asshole. The dog was a dick. So a super nice dog. And uh, so I'm like, dog name Los. And he came off that bite and was, I mean, inches from fucking tagging me. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And I'm yeah. like, really? And from that point on, I mean, even Josh standing there in equipment, he would not redirect onto a decoy. He wanted me because I said the L word. I'm like, oh, mm. all right. I got you, fam. Yeah. So I was like, we got to teach this dog to out. And Josh was like, oh, he outed. I'm like, no, he didn't. That didn't count. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. No, That's transferring bites from a decoy I mean, to me. <laughs> technically, he did. I take that back. Technically, he did out off of you, but he was going to fucking kill me. So we ain't playing right, that yeah. game, homie. So I had to, and to this day, if you say out, or if you say lows to that dog, it's fucking mm. murder mode. If you say, hey, yeah. his name's Digo. Digo out. Boop, he comes off, goes right into heel. Yep. But if you say los, yep. los does not mean out. Los means you're going to get your fucking ass handed to yeah. you. And exactly. I was like, you know. <laughs> and I you had, took, had another. You broke it down yeah. and you explained it to him. You yep. you showed him like, hey, dude, oh, yeah. 
it's not this isn't a fight this is just a way to get to bite again like, yeah and hey, he went to an stuff. experienced That's... handler that had a dutch dog that yeah. kept saying los and i was like you gotta just forget that word that dog bit him like three yeah. times i was like you yeah. cannot say that <laughs> you just can't he was like what's this out command i'm like it's out just say fucking out. You can even say fucking out if you want. Just say fucking out and he'll out, I promise. But like, don't say stop. Los. Don't say yeah. don't even say anything that sounds like los, loose. Like don't say anything yep. that starts with an L. Just don't yeah. do it. And that right, turned out to be a great dog. <laughs> Found a lot of drugs, bites a lot of people. Really good. Bit his handler three times. But it'd be all right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. It was only during handler school. Other than that, he figured it out. He was like, ah, I'm, okay, I got it. He now. stopped I, saying Lowe's, right? Yeah, he, yeah, of course he did. He's, he's like, hey, Digo out. D- yeah, that's his name, Digo. He's up in Missouri. Um, he's like, cool. yeah, Digo out. <laughs> Dog outs perfectly. You that's say Lowe's, murder. Yep. <laughs> End of story. Yeah. That's it. And, and that's, but that, I mean, I think you, you t- hit on it right there, right? So there's a conditioned response. The dog thinks outing is a fight. I need to defend myself because they've thrown everything at him they could think of, right? And now it's a big problem. They sell him because it's a big problem. Right, because he's an and asshole. They, they, did, they didn't know how, how to go back and rethink it. And, you know, I don't even know that he is. Like, truth is, like, there are dogs that if he's getting thumped on without proper lead up to that, because everything else you talk about him, he doesn't sound like one, right? And so that's a problem that was conditioned by people putting pressure on him when he didn't understand what to do. And he was a strong enough dog that he was willing to retaliate. And then you've created a conditioned response, right? Where the dog just explodes when he hears a sound, right? We can we condition that on purpose. If I do a passive alert, that's all I'm doing, right? You know, right. I give the dog a cue and then we light up him up in defense. It's the same gig, right? So then I give the cue and that dog explodes even when there's no, no threat in front of him. That's a conditioned response. And he had a conditioned response to Los that was the wrong one, unfortunately. But... He may have not have been that much of an asshole if he had been trained smart from the ground up. He might have been totally willing to cooperate. You know? Oh yeah, sounds like the dog had a solid temperament. So, oh yeah, no, he's super cool. It's un- it's unfortunate that that Just happens, and I know I've I've certainly seen many many dogs over the years that have that kind of problem and get rehomed, get put through all kinds of unnecessary abuse because they got labeled as a bad dog because somebody was pressuring them when they didn't understand what to do and they finally decided to retaliate. And certainly there are dogs that are quicker to retaliate there than others. But still, like if you're a smart trainer, you would have seen that coming and you would have worked your way around that. And many of those dogs could go on to be lovely dogs like he does. They would be fully functional dogs going forward if somebody saw that and worked around it. There was a period where I would get dogs that had bit their handlers on purpose to see if I could rehab them. And I never got bit by one of those dogs. Like oh. I did about a half a dozen of those dogs that had bit handlers. They're like, no, this dog can't make a good working dog because it lit his last handler. I put him in the hospital, all that kind of stuff. Like he'll bite you for sure. And if you're just smart and take some time and build a relationship, I'd always start off teaching them something new, totally that they had no associations with the dog. And I would develop a relationship. I'd go back anything where there were problem areas. I'd go back and reteach those from the ground up with food and stuff. Not a single one of those dogs ever bit me like, when I got bitten by dogs, it's because it surprised me some dog you weren't expecting you to or some I, stupid uh, error you made, right? Eric and I both kind of take on projects like that, and Eric and I are both very comfortable handling dogs like that. And and, and in the right circumstances, I'm very comfortable handing handing those off to, to handlers, especially if they spend a lot of time with me. And yeah. um, there's been one notable exception. Um, <laughs> and this dog... Um, I was doing, um, he came to us, um, 
and he was already imprinted on odor. So I was kind of working him on odor on a flat collar and no prong, no eat, nothing. Huge malamine, like 115 pounds. Super mm. social, super social. And the story I got um, was he was, he fucked up his handler trying to force him into a down. I'm like, all right, well, I won't force him to do anything. Like, whatever. It was no big deal. Like, dude, just go find drugs. Like, soup, go do it. So, you know, we did a couple of sessions. No big deal. Um, he decided one day that he didn't want to go back to the kennel. Um, he, with no provocation, I was just like, let's go, buddy. And he's like lunging to get back into the detection building at the end of a six foot line. And I'm like, just kind of letting him, I'm not popping him. I'm not starting to fight with him. Nothing. Right. I'm like, all right, you know, whatever, dude, the dog's name. Well, it didn't matter what his name was, but, um, I was just like, you know, dog name, whatever. Um, so I start walking back to the outdoor kennels to put him up and he circles around me circles around me. And then I hear Scott yell, hey, real loud, and he fucking blasts me on the calf. Um, 30 stitches, and it took Ouch. three. It took two people and myself to get him off of me. Mm. And I had to use a breaker bar on him that I, had, that I always carry on me to get him off of me, and then we had to line him to the kennel. Oy. And completely unprovoked, no correction involved, yeah. and I am 150% convinced that that was a created behavior. Um, yeah, despite the I, fact I, I'm that, almost certain too. Well, and the, the, and the other portion of that is after the fact I found out where the dog, um, the bloodlines, the dog came from, and they're kind of known for being a little sharp like that. But mm -hmm. along the line, that dog had learned to play fuck around with his handler and got what he wanted. And mm. so, yeah, but, uh, yeah, 30, 33 stitches in my calf. That was Ouch. fucking rad. Yeah. Um, for, <sighs> and I didn't correct him. Like, I didn't fuck all. I was just, I was just literally standing there. Yeah. And he but was like, like oh. so he's, he's super worked up though. That's one of those spots yeah. where they redirect really fast. And so potentially yeah. they'd had issues with that. The other person yelling like, uh Oh, he's thinking the shoe's going to drop. I'll turn around and grab you. Yep. Yeah. There's all kinds of, yeah, that's, a, that, I, I, I'm sorry for that. That's rough. <laughs> you know, and you know, that kind of taints your view on every other dog. And I'm like, yeah, what are you doing, homie? And yeah. yeah, so yeah, no, and it's hard when, 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 once you get a little, like when you get bit, it, like once you get a little edgy, then you behave differently too. So one of the things that like allows you to work around dogs that are really worked up is the fact that you stay cool and calm. Right. And that's a hard thing to do. If you've been bitten badly recently, then everyone gets a little on edge and they're a little more guarded and the dogs start to feel your stress and, you know, it can get a little, a little less than ideal. Absolutely. Yeah. You know what? This has been fantastic, man. I, I, uh, exactly as I thought it would be. Um, oh, thank you guys. Hopefully guys really listen to this and get some, yeah, get some good things out of it. Um, what, uh, what's the seminar schedule look like for you? You back at it? No, not so much. Right. So I'm doing well these days, right? It's like the, uh, with the, advent of the pandemic, I'm doing a whole bunch of online stuff and I'm recreating content so that I can do seminars and classes, uh, live online. Right. So I've been doing a lot of, a lot of work on kind of getting that stuff up and running. So there'll be more availability to training, uh, without having to come out to California to the school, which is what for the last 10 years, I haven't really been traveling. I'd speak at a conference or something occasionally, but I hadn't been been traveling very much so a lot of online content and then um 
also, uh, I'll, I'll probably do some kind of seminar stuff again in the, in the future, just because, uh, once that stuff gets rolling, I won't be quite as intensely booked with teaching as I have been. So it would be, uh, it'd be nice to go do some of that stuff for, for fun. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What is that? So. Right? Oh, yeah. No, you know, it's like when I, when I first started doing seminars, it was fantastic. It was so like you're traveling, you're seeing all these new dogs and all these things. And it was really, it's, it's fun. It's cool. Like you get to go into a place where you've never been, meet a bunch of people you've never met and a bunch of dogs you've never met. And it was incredibly educational. It was really, it was cool, exciting. But when you do it a lot, it gets, you know, it's, it's easy to burn out on it. It's like anything you do, you know. And when I was traveling 40 yeah, plus what... weeks a year, I was just so cooked. So when I stopped, I'm like, I don't want to go that's anywhere ever again. I don't ever want to go anywhere again, yeah. right? I'm just going to stay here. And if you want to see me, you got to come here. But that, that's, that's been long enough now that I'm starting to think like, yeah, it'd be kind of fun to go out and do a couple of those things again. So I may. Listen, go out into like Buffalo at the end of November. You'll never leave California again. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've been there. I've been in Wisconsin in the middle of February when it's minus twenty five, <laughs> right? Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Pass. Yeah. Cool. So, Michael, where's the best place for people to contact you to look you up? Yeah, just through the school. So it's uh, michaelellisschool.com, and and you can email me at michael at michaelellisschool dot com. It's the easy way to get a hold of me. So. He, through the website, through the through the um, the email at the school, or through that email, I'm I'm out here. Awesome, cool. I appreciate uh, it. What about you, Ted? Uh, Ted underscore Summers on the Instagrams, as well as Torchlight Canine, Letter K number nine. Uh, same thing on Facebook. Uh, that's the business side, and then uh, Working underscore Dog underscore Radio. So we, with this hundredth episode, we're giving away a bunch of free shit from all the sponsors: Kinetic Dog Tra. Um, ALM, uh, Debbie Johnson from um, Canines United. Canines. I think it's going to, yeah, Canines United is going to be giving away some stuff. So, uh, yeah, uh, 100th episode, kind of a big deal uh, because it's a round number and it's three digits. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. And then we can go to Patreon too. Um, you've, you're finishing up a Patreon video for us today, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it's going to be a video about um, kind of a little bit of what we're talking about tonight. In a way, law enforcement trainers still believe that you must do compulsion. And I'm just going to show you four new dogs I have in from Europe and doing nothing but food and on recall and just how much fun the dog is having and how many more reps I got in than you got in. And there was never any one single second where I thought the dog was going to uh, light me up. So oh, I was going to say, um, and you didn't get bit. <laughs> so, correct. Yeah. Well oh, done. that lab bit me in the hand taking the treat, though, this, or the food, yeah. shithead. Oh, it's a lab. Uh, yeah. I'm leaving it in the video, too. I hear you go, ow, you fucker. I'm leaving <laughs> that in there, though. So. Yeah, no, that, that, that's legit. I Believe me, one of the gnarliest dogs we ever trained that bit me all the time was a Chesapeake lab mix. His name was Watt. Yeah. Mm. Fucking shithead. <laughs> yeah. like, every time you pull a tennis ball out, he would bite the shit out of you. Oh, pass. Uh, what about you, Van S. K. Nine? Yeah, yeah. Van S. K. Nine on Instagram, Van S. K. Nine Academy on Facebook, uh, Patreon, Working Dog Radio, um, Working Dog Radio on Facebook, everywhere. It's just Working underscore Dog underscore Radio. I think we covered that. Um, 
But yeah, you know, I, again, folks, I still don't understand why you guys follow. I see tons of people that follow the podcast and don't follow Ted and I. It doesn't make any sense. Right, follow sure. my page, Van S K Nine. Follow Torchlight K Nine. Follow Ted underscore Summers. Um, go sure. look up Michael. Follow all his stuff. So we gotta we gotta help each other out. We gotta share things. So yep. Michael, great episode yep. one hundred. Couldn't have asked for a better guest. Very fitting. Thank you guys. Really yes. appreciate it. Thanks yep. for giving me the, the time to talk with you. No, yep. no problem. We'll see so, you, buddy. Yeah, we'll see you. All right. Take care, Thanks. guys. Our oldest sponsor, our first sponsor, and our good friend, and a great dude all around, Arno at ALM Canine Equipment. Uh, his suits and his canine tugs and bite sleeves are some of the best in the industry. His dude, I have a whole array of different uh, hidden sleeves from him of all various levels of dogs. Uh, he has a discount code for us, which is amazing, WD Radio for 10% off your first order. ALMK9Equipment.com. Give him a give him a shout, man. Arno is a good guy with great quality equipment. ALMK9Equipment.com. One of the original three sponsors that have been with us from the beginning is Tripwire Operations Group LLC. They're an internationally recognized leading provider of products, services, and training for federal, state, local, and law enforcement agencies and military units. They are ATF licensed for explosive material manufacturer, importer, exporter, and dealer with a wide range of explosive products to offer, including custom kits. These kits are great for detection canine imprinting, and they have three different kits to choose from. These three kits combined create the complete picture for ex the explosive threats of canines. Be sure to check them out, tripwireops.org. The music in this episode is used with permission by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at Brother Deeg, that's spelled D-E-G-E dot -E net. Be sure to check him out there or on iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby, or anywhere you stream media. This episode has been edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt. Visit our other sites at patreon.com, look for Working Dog Radio, hrdpolicecanine.com, and look for the nearest seminar near you. You got your reasons, I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too old to die young. Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E.blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.